Yeah, okay. Excellent. Uh, I'm just going to change my connection because I'm, I'm losing you a bit. Just give me two seconds. Nothing of value has been said, so... It's Friday, November the 3rd, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Derrick, Dutch News Contributing Editor and German Bike Bandit, and with me today is Paul <laughs> Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and Pesticide Biskager. Uh, Paul, I guess we should explain yours first of all, um, yes. what is going on with the pesticides. Yeah, I, I'm wondering that myself too. Uh, <laughs> it was This was one of the more remarkable... Uh, new stories that we had this week, right? Um, apparently, uh, a uh, there is a new sustainable food coalition called Robin Food, and they are handing out 500 free urine tests. Mm-hmm. And uh, what they're going to uh, or want to monitor is how much of the pesticide, uh, what's what's it called, uh, glyphosate? Glyphosate? I'm not really uh, sure how. It gl- glyphosate, I think, or gl- something like that. Yeah. Gl- <laughs> glyphosate. Yeah, I think it's yeah. that. Um, they want to know how much of that pesticide ends up in uh, human bodies because it is uh, fair to be linked to all sorts of neurological illnesses. Yeah, like Parkinson's, um, I think. And other yes, things. And, yeah. and certain types of cancer. Uh, mm. So they, uh, the it, it is a coalition uh, among uh, several organizations, including the Public Health Institute, RIVM, and yeah. yeah, they just want to um, uh, investigate that. But yeah, they need some sort of um, uh, a way to get the attention to it and to people for, for people to sign up to it. So they call it the Piskijker. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, they call it the Piskijker, which literally means the piss watcher. Yeah. It also, it's a name that um, refers to a quack, yeah. um, which... Um, is also one of the words that uh, in English that uh, uh, is influenced by the Dutch language. Uh, yeah, w- yep. We call it a quack solver. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, they they want uh, they they, uh, they need some attention for it. So they uh, they they called it that and they send it to uh, Unilever CEO Paul Polman. He already used it as well as the mm-hmm. former uh, or the founder of the Partij voor de Dieren, Marianne Thieme. And he also hoped that Agriculture Minister Piet Adema will become a pissfluencer. As they call it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, it's it's uh, it is a good cause, but it was a very strange it is a good uh, cause. Yeah, story. Yeah. The point yeah. is as well that if you detect high levels of pesticide in your urine, you can do something to uh, against it by eating lots of organic food. Apparently, that will bring down your levels of the levels of pesticide in your body. Um, oh yeah. Theory. Um, so and then, and so it's a good preventive measure to stop you developing uh, conditions like Parkinson's later in life. Uh, hopefully yes hopefully yes or reduce your chance i should say you can never completely prevent it of course but uh yeah so, so that's the piss gagging uh out of the way um <laughs> and uh yes but one thing you shouldn't do as we will mention in a little while is uh it, 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 it is order a organic food box from form for democracy because there seems to be some dodgy <laughs> stuff in there but uh, we'll come on to that shortly um but yes. in the meantime we just need to take a detour via capella under isil um, because yeah. uh, uh, this is uh, uh, the story that I selected, uh, picked out this week. Uh, this was a man who uh, was in a bit of a hurry to get home in a storm, ran through a red light and became probably the first person in the history of the Netherlands to actually be fined by the police for cycling <laughs> through a red light. Um, but he was, yes. he was especially unlucky because um, it turned out <laughs> the police then 
uh, when they got his details, they ran uh, a check on him through the criminal records, and it turned out that he had an outstanding prison sentence of 15 <laughs> years to serve in Germany. So he's now wow. being deported. So it's a heck of a price to yes. pay for riding through a red light. Um, and and the police insisted in their press release that he still has to f- pay the fine for uh, cycling through a red light, right? They, yeah, uh, they, that was the most Dutch thing that. about the about the story altogether. I thought the fact that he's still going to get his hundred and ten euro fine, uh, as well as whatever's left of his fifteen year jail term. They didn't say what he'd been, yeah. been sent to prison for in Germany, but I think in Germany you have to do something quite serious to be sent to prison for, for fifteen years in Germany. For fifteen but, um, years, yeah, 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 indeed, yeah. It's yeah. Uh, probably a much much worse offense than uh, than cycling through a red light uh, i would guess it was yeah 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 but probably although crossing against the red light on a pedestrian crossing i think is quite heavily punished in germany given that i've been to germany and you see people standing by the roadside when the light's red even when there's no cars coming for like a mile they were they'll refuse to mm. cross so i'm guessing uh-huh. that must be a very severe offense uh, so yeah. perhaps that's what he got his 15 years for but um yes. and also of course there's a question of whether he's gonna have to give back the bike because, yeah, exactly. as we know, all bikes in Germany were stolen from the Netherlands during the Second World War. But I mentioned earlier the uh, the, the food boxes from Four for Democracy. Uh, that was one source of Ophef. Are we going? Is that going to be our Ophef of the week, Paul? Please say no. No. No, 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 no. <laughs> You're lucky. Uh, this week it was revealed that Thierry Baudet's side business, his yeah political party, is uh, has turned into his. Uh, yeah, basically his, uh, his his major source of income, right? And uh, w- one of one of the uh, ways he he earns his money is selling food boxes to uh, to his uh, yeah fellow uh, fellow party members. Uh, and this week it was revealed that uh, even though it is advertised as being 100% Dutch food, uh, some of the f- some of the products come from uh, China or even further away. I think uh, so. It's not 100% Dutch, even though that uh, that's what he claims. That was all. Yeah. We're not going to cover that. Um, uh, at your insistence, and also not that uh, he, uh, yeah, uh, um, uh, uh, offended a uh, and insulted a, a young non-binary binary person on live TV. We're not going to cover that in no, this we're segment. Not going to any of that, please. No, um, no. In- instead, we are going to talk about uh, probably thirty-year-old Ophef, but it's still good. Um, earlier this week, there was a surprising object put on sale on Marktplatz. That's the Dutch equivalent of eBay. Uh, it's not a sex toy in a of a tompoes, but a carved wooden panel from the old plenary chamber of the Tweede Kamer. The panel was part of the chair's raised table, it was sort of, yeah, uh, the, the old plenary chamber uh, resembles the uh, resembled the House of Commons a bit, I think. Uh, two rows mm. of, of green benches and uh, with, the, with the speaker or the, the chair of the Tweede Kamer in the middle. Um, in 1992, there was a large extension added to the Binnenhof complex and the parliament moved to a new plenary chamber. That's the one that we're still using today. Uh, and apparently all the historical furniture from the old plenary chamber, such as the famous green benches, as well as the panel, should have been destroyed. Um, it remains a mystery how the decorative panel survived and was put uh, put on sale on Marktplatz this week. Uh, and journalists uh, dived into the question why all the furniture was actually destroyed. And apparently they wanted to avoid the creation of a wild and out-of-control second market. Um, I thought 1992 was uh, was the time of neoliberalism, right? A free hmm. market is going to solve yeah. everything. But apparently they thought, oh, it's much better to destroy this this uh, historical heritage uh, <laughs> altogether. Yes. Um 
I really don't understand why they made that decision, but okay. Um, but it is rumored, apparently, that there might have been an extra reason for the destruction of the furniture. Because in the 1980s, two Feve Day staffers sneaked into the plenary chamber at night, along with a photographer, and they shot several erotic photos in one of the benches. And they were later published in Playboy magazine. And that <laughs> row led to furious letters from Feve Day members uh, to then-party leader Ed Naples. Uh, they were recently uh, disclosed because they ended up in the National Archive and um, yeah, there was a 30-year time limit or something and after that it was disclosed. And in one of the letters, uh, an angry VVD voter uh, accused the staffers of a VPRO and VARA mentality. Um, that's funny because those are the left-wing um, uh, public broadcasters uh, <laughs> um, <Yeah>. and um, <laughs> back then uh, society was much more uh, how do you call that? Divided into into these sort of structures, right? Um, yeah. And the sta- the staffers were subsequently fired after the row, and the ad has uh, now disappeared from Marktplatz, so it's unknown uh, if it's being sold or if it's being confiscated by some sort of um, uh, the trade camera itself. Perhaps we don't know. So, uh, <laughs> so the, the, the trade cams morality police or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we don't know what 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 uh, what has happened to it. Maybe they. Um, yeah, no. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe it was for health and safety reasons that they decided that yeah. these uh, yeah, the, 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 these uh, benches with their notorious history should not uh, go on uh, uh, go up for sale. Um, yeah. Yeah, Playboy magazine's been in the news again this week. I saw yeah. uh, because saw, um, because there's been a photo. Well, they've got an article on uh, Liliana Moranson, uh, leader of the SP, the Socialist Party, uh, but she's not uh, posing on the green benches. I should uh, say, uh, or, 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 or the or, 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 or in front of the, uh, the, the the current wall of that looks like a uh, like a mound of earth uh, that's behind the, um, <laughs> the trader camera. I mean, no, yeah. no. Uh, mm-hmm. But but yeah, it's it's likely that they were just afraid that they were going to um, yeah uh, misuse uh, this these uh, these benches for for these kind of uh, purposes. So uh, that is uh, probably the reason why they uh, uh, decided to destroy it altogether. Unfortunately, there's still a few of these benches survive. Uh, one of them is in the SGP uh, faction chamber, and twelve of them are at Pro Demos, which is a organization that organizes uh, tours through the Binnenhof, for example, opposite uh, next to. Dudok in The Hague, so uh, um, probably a well-known name if you live there. This week, the election race entered its last three weeks, with the leading parties still neck and neck. Storm Kieran battered the coast and brought misery for commuters. The population closed on the 18 million mark, but um, it's not going so well with the SEAL population. And we've got a special treat for cricket fans coming up. With only two and a half weeks to go until the general election on November 22nd, the campaigns are really picking up steam. Uh, Gordon, did you receive your stamp pass this week? No, because I'm not a Dutch citizen, but uh, there are oh, uh, t- uh, t- two stem passes have arrived in my house for my children, because my youngest uh, turned 18 two months ago, so they're both entitled to vote now. I keep forgetting that you can't vote. I always yeah. think that you can, but <laughs> yeah... Apparently not. So you have two stem boss, uh, and if yeah, you so are I, eligible, I, yeah, I, I, I must admit, I must stress, no, I must stress, uh, I'm not uh, in the business of uh, uh, ronseling uh, voting power cards <laughs> or. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, like Thierry Baudet was accused yeah, exactly. of. Yeah, exactly. I'm afraid you have to mention Thierry Baudet again. He's, he's been wrapped over the knuckles again for uh, encouraging people to go out and find a couple of uh, elderly relatives or just random people in wheelchairs and trying to extract proxy votes from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so d- d- don't, don't do that. Uh, but, yes. Um, 
please. Um, so, no. so, so I, I would not be doing that. But uh, yeah. Um, so let's start without going my Prime Minister Mark Rutte. What's he been up to? No, first I want to mention that uh, if you are oh. eligible to vote, you will immediately find out because you will uh, have received a stamp pass by now in your letterbox. Uh, and if you're not like Gordon is, then uh, yeah, unfortunately you haven't received anything. Um, so yeah, let's start with uh, outgoing uh, Prime Minister Mark Rutte because a lot of things uh, has happened in the week. Uh, he has been pretty quiet in the past weeks. Obviously, he's uh, not on a ballot paper this time and he doesn't want to steal the spotlight from his uh, successor as party leader, Dylan Yesogus, who appears in literally every TV show, every article. You cannot you cannot open a newspaper without seeing her face, right? It's, uh, it's, yeah. uh, the, the, the campaign team of the Favour Day are really doing their best to, uh, <laughs> to push yeah. her as much yeah, as there possible. There seems to be lots in the papers, certain English language papers about her fashion choices as well uh, her handbags and her shoes and uh, yeah we will uh, yeah. I will mention the, 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 the Times interview later but I okay, haven't read right. it actually so you can uh, you can uh, you can uh, tell us what uh, what was in it Rutte appeared on a local The Hague radio station uh, in the weekend to talk about his decision to quit politics he told Ron Fraser that on the Sunday after the fall of the cabinet while he was on his way to discuss campaign strategies with the VVD party leadership he suddenly realized that after 13 years his effectiveness as prime minister had started to decrease and then that it would be wise to hand over the leadership of the country to someone else. A lot of voters will have told him that uh, he had lost his effectiveness uh, many years before, <laughs> but finally Rutte has, uh, has realized that. Uh, he acknowledged that he had stayed on as prime minister for too long and that a term limit might be something to consider. Completely coincidentally, in an interview in a newspaper that same morning, Dylan Yesogus said something similar. She promised to quit as prime minister after eight years on the job. She was also critical of Rutte, saying that he hadn't done enough to tackle immigration uh, to the Netherlands, adding that she uh, wouldn't compromise on the issue as much as the outgoing prime minister has done. And also this week, Yesogus visited French President Emmanuel Macron in Paris, and she gave an interview to British newspaper The Times in an effort to uh, compete against Frans Timmermans' international stature, I assume. And I, and I suspect that Margrethe had something to do with her invitation to the Elysee Palace, because I don't think the French president uh, usually um, invites a random minister of a, uh, of a country that's not even bordering his to, uh, to the palace there. Uh, I think Rutte had called him and said, uh, yeah, invite her, otherwise she will, uh, she will bring you to uh, other Indonesian restaurants on, yes, on your next exactly, visit yeah, to the yeah, Netherlands. Yeah, invite yeah. her, otherwise next time you come to The Hague, uh, we're, going to the, um, uh, we're going to the herring stall outside the Binnenhof. <laughs> <laughs> That's even worse. Wow. I, w I really want to see his expression <laughs> when, when Rutte or Dylan Jesukos hands him this, uh, the, the herring. Yeah. Do you yeah. want some onions with it? No, I don't want it at all. <laughs> not anything. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, the, the interview in the Times, it was uh, slightly, um, well, uh, I say slightly bizarre. It was, it was a very uh, strange thing. It seemed to focus more as I, on, 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 on her fashion sense and her suits or on her dog. Even mm. there's a big picture of her holding her dog. Um, oh, that, it was, that was from this interview. Yeah, that was all in this interview. Mm. Yeah, yeah, um, and, and and it starts off with uh, um, mentioning a meme on one of the uh, uh, Dutch public broadcasters' website. That apparently, um, 
plate put her face onto uh, Margaret Thatcher's body, which sounds like a horrific uh, uh, Frankenstein uh, type composition. Um, and, uh, wow. uh, but, uh, and uh, yeah, and, and, and then mentions uh, yeah, talks about her her, um, her high pitched voice and you know, all kind of things. I, mean, I, I, I don't remember this kind of coverage when Mark Rutter became uh, no. prime minister. Yeah, they didn't no. talk about his uh, his fashion sense or his car, which is just as well, really. But um, yeah. Uh, well, the New York Times mentioned his uh, his choice of car once. Yeah. Uh, I remember. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, we can. I mean, there's nothing much to say about his fashion choices. I think, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, just the fact that he's he's worn the same jacket, the same anorak for the last thirteen years. He's yeah. been prime minister. Yeah, yeah, um, that's noteworthy. Yeah. <coughs> yeah, yeah, and and for some reason they called her the most prominent uh, asylum seeker in the Netherlands since Anne Frank or something. It was it was really weird. Yeah, it was all kind of quite strange. Yeah, 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 yeah. and uh, and um, Rutte also revealed what he's going to do after his prime ministership. Uh, he said that he's interested in uh, picking up the job of uh, NATO Secretary General. We always uh, suspected that he was uh, interested in that job, uh, but he uh, finally acknowledged that. Um, and uh, after that, he will uh, probably return to um, education. He wants to become a school teacher again. Yeah. He's doing that now part-time, one one afternoon or one yeah. morning, I think, in a week. There was a bit, a bit of op about that, wasn't it? Because he revealed during the interview that he wasn't actually qualified to teach the class. No. And he had, to, he, had to, he had to teach together with another um, yeah. teacher who was qualified. But he's been doing this for like... I think the whole time he's been prime minister, right? Yeah, but he's not... At College in The Hague. But it turns out he's not actually... Um, yeah, he's actually got the right papers. Yeah, no, but but, but he's invited as a, as a guest teacher. Yes, so, yeah, yeah, you don't need to... You, you don't really need the qualification. He doesn't uh, correct homework or anything or correct tests, but he, uh, he just appears every week uh, at the same class uh, and, and, and talk about I don't know I don't even know what he I think history probably right he's probably a history yeah. teacher um, yeah. but I think but when, yeah, when he, whenever he raises it he does you know, periodically bring this up in, in, in interviews and says you know this, it, it, that he talks about my students and that he yeah. uh, gives the image that he's teaching the class and yeah. it turns out that actually he's he's kind of he's more like the classroom assistant really yeah <laughs> <laughs> even though you need qualifications for that as well yeah, uh, yeah. but still yeah yeah, that was uh, that was uh, a big revelation indeed. Yeah, so that was interesting. Um, and as always in the campaign, I mean, lo- lots of things have happened, although there hasn't been huge movement in the no. st- standing of the parties. Uh, but what else uh, d- 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 stood out for you this week? Yeah, what was uh, uh, surprising is that uh, GroenLinks PvdA leader Frans Timmermans and NSC leader Pieter Omzicht organized a one-on-one campaign event on their own without the help of some sort of media outlet, with what, uh, like how you, uh, you traditionally see it. Uh, they did that on Sunday and they insisted that it should be called a conversation and not a debate, mm. even though they did appear on a stage behind a podium with a moderator in front of an audience and with cameras in the, uh, in the, in, in, in the hall. Um, and the event was held in the uh, Luxor Theatre in Arnhem and lasted almost two hours. It was extremely long, <laughs> I have to mm. say. I tried to watch <laughs> it, but uh, I, I, I zoned out at around uh, uh, 70 minutes. 
Um, and it was meant to allow them uh, to discuss certain topics in depth, such as uh, climate change, bestaanszekerheid, so the uh, security of, uh, how do we call it again? Um, yeah, it's a, um, a basic standard of living, security yeah. of existence, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, something like that. And also yeah. administrative and constitutional reform. Um, and yeah, without the interference of bells, whistles, alarm clocks set at 30 seconds and other politicians with their annoying opinions. Yeah. Um, the conversation mostly focused on the common grounds between the two parties. And yeah, actually the message they wanted to send was uh, we can easily form a coalition, possibly of, or even preferably without the VVD. Yeah, sure. And uh, yeah, all this talk of coalitions uh, brings us on to uh, the opinion polls. Uh, is um, As we said just now, there doesn't seem to be much movement, uh, right, in the, in the polls in the last week or so. No, the overall image remains the same, uh, with the VVD slightly leading over NSA with 28 seats and 27 seats respectively, uh, followed by GroenLinks BVDA with 23 f- seats and BVV with 18 The Boer-Burgerbeweging of Caroline van der Plas continues to uh, slowly lose seats, uh, currently polling at 12 seats. The farmer-citizen movement is plagued by a number of bad performances by uh, van der Plas and by other people on their party lists. Mm. Van der Plas gave two interviews this week in which she was unable to answer basic questions about her plans on immigration. BBB is proposing a cap of 15,000 people uh, a year coming to the Netherlands, but both Telegraaf and Trouw asked her, yeah, what are we going to say uh, to number 15,001? Yeah. And yeah, she was unable to answer that. And uh, the, the, if, you, if you put these two interviews next to each other, you see a similar thing happen. She uh, is unable to answer this question. Then she yeah. starts to ask rhetorical questions to the interviewer itself. And at some point, the interviewer says, yeah, but this is your party manifesto. <laughs> they both said it in this interview. So yeah, yeah it, is, it is not a good sign if you are unable to explain your own uh, party manifesto yeah the, um, the, the, the interview with the telegraph was a particular car crash i think because there was a moment when she was asked about her health care and her health care plans and they asked her the quite reasonable i think it's her first question actually they said yeah how are you actually going to uh, where are you going to find the money for this uh, for all the things you want to do in healthcare?" and uh, she kind of said oh well it, it's just a manifesto it's just a wish list really it did yeah. <laughs> you know and, and and then actually turned to uh, hank vermeer who is her campaign manager and said uh, hank quickly google 22 billion and the telegraph put all this in the right up of the interview which was quite excruciating the the T remains the T as uh, uh, Grapperhaus would have said Vert Grapperhaus yeah yeah, it is it is not a good sign if you're unable to explain your own party manifesto. And the thing is that, yeah, and also um, um, at some point they said, yeah, you need 7 billion euros for this plan. How are you going to fund it? And she said, yeah, we're go- just going to uh, scrap all the consultancies uh, that the government is, is hiring. Um, but yeah, that it's never going to raise 7 billion euros. And the same uh, error she made in parliament a couple of, well, I think last month, right? Uh, at, the, at, the, at the budget day uh, debate. So um, she, she doesn't seem to learn from her mistakes. Uh, and yeah, uh, she, 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 she keeps making the same mistakes over and over again. So yeah, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's uh, an, another good sign. And also, uh, there were other there were other baby bay incidents we had of course the number 13 who appeared to be a nazi troll on the internet yeah. uh, we have mona kaiser the uh, former cda junior economy minister and the party's candidate for the prime ministership or not that was also a whole uh, 
uh, and, and a whole small scandal, right? Uh, they yeah. presented her as the prime minister candidate, and then a the day later was, wow, did, wh- where do you come up with the, that idea yeah, that yeah, she's exactly, the prime yeah. minister candidate? Yeah, yeah. The latest one, I think, was uh, she um, said that, um, uh, that she, uh, she's complaining about um, uh, part of that D66 uh, polarizing on global warming and saying global warming isn't all bad because, okay, some people die because it's too hot, but that also means you don't get so many people dying because it's too cold. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was... That was a similar uh, yeah, train wreck of an interview uh, given by Mona Kaiser and this is just yeah. one in a, in a whole series of, 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 of bad media performances and yeah and, and, and what else uh, we also have the number three on the party list uh, uh, Gijs Steinman uh, a very appropriate name but uh, yeah he's uh, he, he holds the highest uh, military decoration so he was presented as oh he's going to be uh, the new minister of defense and otherwise he's going to be the spokesman on, 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 on defense or international affairs and he has also appeared in a number of um, yeah, topical debates because you know apart from all the party leaders there are all sorts of side debates organized uh, uh, in these weeks and yeah he 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 doesn't seem to have a coherent um uh, a view on world affairs on geopolitics and basically a loose cannon he just stands on the podium and and mm. and, and yeah starts ranting um incoherently um and yeah that's <laughs> Um, uh, uh, they really lost their, their their mojo, their momentum with these ba- sort of uh, mistakes. And uh, individually, all these mistakes are not the end of the world. But collectively, I think it it, it just doesn't give a, a good sign to voters that it is a party that uh, we can trust um, uh, in government or in power, or even with the prime ministership. So, um, yeah, you see, you definitely see that uh, uh, um, uh, uh, reflected in the polls with this uh, declining line, this decline green line over the weeks yeah definitely and the thing is momentum is so important and uh, yeah. if, if you're already starting to decline the polls and then uh, you start uh, your um, your candidates start going off message uh, journalists will then start asking uh, more difficult questions and I think uh, Caravan von der Plaas was facing during the um, provincial elections back in March uh, she doesn't manage to put a deep, uh, put up a decent uh, fist of, of answering them and it's a downward spiral uh, yeah. all of a sudden uh, your image your, the way people perceive you completely changes uh, I think it, it's not looking good for the BBB at all No, and to but, make um, things worse the voters have an alternative uh, in the yeah. form of uh, new social contract NSA who uh, you know appeals to the same sort of feeling right anti-government we need something completely different than uh, what Mark Rutte has been doing in the past 13 years um, but he um, seems to ha- have a much more streamlined uh, campaign and uh, he keeps his candidates much better in order um, I guess than, uh, than Caroline van der Plas uh, is doing right now yeah, and obviously NSA. He's, uh, Peter Omzig has chosen his candidates very carefully. He's got good. Um, he, he's imposed, or he's managing to ensure good party discipline. And I guess as well. I mean, there's an optimistic mood in the NSA. They're a new party. They're doing well in the polls. Whereas the BBB are going downhill. People probably aren't f- feeling quite as inclined to stay. Uh, on message you know it, 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 the morale is down definitely yeah. I think and uh, that, that's part of the problem but we're going to talk about the Bebebe Be more in the final part of our uh, special series of podcasts uh, focusing on the 15 largest parties uh, which has been an ongoing five part series for patrons so uh, you can only listen if you are a supporter of the uh, Dutch News podcast and you give us a little bit of money it only needs to be one euro a month um, uh, but uh, that will uh, the, 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 the uh, 
So that will be the final part um, of our series, which will focus on the BBB and two other parties, the Partei für die Dieren and uh, Dink as well. Yes. And um, I just quickly want to mention that um, over half of people uh, currently are, are considering to vote differently than they did uh, in the last elections in 2021. That's a record number. Mm. Uh, and that can partly be explained by the arrival of uh, NSA and uh, Boer collectively. They're polling at 25% of the votes. Um, but still, uh, over half of people are, are going to change votes. It's, uh, it's, it's an enormous percentage. Um, and uh, according to the polls, 23% still do not know how they will vote. They're, they're completely uncertain. Uh, so there are a lot of, uh, still a lot of floating votes, uh, voters uh, uh, around. Um, and at the same point in the campaign uh, last time in 2021, this was 16%. So yes, still a lot of uncertainty among voters. Um, but if there will be a real shift in the Polls, pollsters expected to take place this weekend. Uh, we have, I think, three major debates coming up um, on Friday. So today, late in the evening, we have the Radio One debate, and we have two debates, on, televised debates on Sunday: one in the morning, one in the evening. Yeah, so we'll bring you updates with all that in next week's podcast. And um, it really does feel like it's a generational shift because at the last election, the same four parties got back into the, the cabinet uh, but this time we got uh, new parties coming through also all the four coalition parties have changed their leader since the last election um, including obviously the favorite day with Mark Rutte so uh, giving stepping down uh, for Dylan Yeshilgas so I think yeah, it really is um, a, a lamp going to be a landmark moment I think this election Storm Kieran blew into the Netherlands on Wednesday with 104-kilometre winds and heavy rain causing widespread damage across the country. In Fenray in Limburg, one person was killed by a falling tree. Also in Limburg, two people were injured when a tree fell on their car on the A79 motorway near Maassen. And a woman in The Hague was taken to hospital after she was struck by a tree uh, on a zebra crossing. The storm mm. also hit the transport network. Hundreds of flights were cancelled at Schiphol from mid-afternoon. NS cancelled trains travelling to and from Zeeland, which uh, got the worst of the winds. And replacement buses were put on between Eindhoven and Limburg after a tree fell on a train. Obviously, all the trees are in, still in leaf because uh, it's something else that we well, covered not in Dutch news. <laughs> yeah, well, not anymore now. No, not since yesterday, but uh, but they were um, yeah. at the start of the day. Uh, but yeah, but trees are shedding their leaves later because of global warming, so that uh, you coincide heavy trees with uh, high winds, and uh, yeah, it causes an awful lot of destruction. Uh, you have perfect storm for falling trees. The perfect storm, indeed. The INVB advised commuters to work from home if possible. Uh, school children were sent home early in the west of the country as uh, Kieran gathered uh, speed. But of course, the uh, the most um, uh, eye-catching uh, event was uh, that uh, with the storm uh, being forecast uh, earlier this week, uh, the, uh, the the organisers of the National Headwind Cycling Championships <laughs> uh, announced that they were going to put on their annual uh, their, their, their annual event on Thursday. But uh, when 300 people turned up on the start line on their bikes ready to pedal very hard and very slowly into the wind across a dike um, uh, but um, the event was actually cancelled because the wind was too strong yeah <laughs> ironically yeah. Um, 
It wasn't held at the dike, but at the uh, storm surge barrier at the Oosterschelde. Ah, um, yeah. Civil engineering marvel. Uh, and uh, they didn't have to close, even though uh, Rijk, Rijkswaterstaat was, uh, was ready to push the button in case the storm uh, went uh, became too severe. Uh, but I think it was uh, a little bit uh, less severe than, uh, than forecast uh, in the end. Uh, mm. But still a lot of damage, even though we, st- we, we, we hoped that the insurance companies would be uh, as quick as they usually are. Uh, Usually at the in the next morning after the storm they have uh, a prediction or a, a, a an estimation yeah. on how much bill, damage yeah. there was. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately they let us down this time. A lot of people mentioned the cycling championship being cancelled. I saw them on the papers. There was a British couple who actually travelled specially from Bath oh, really? to <laughs> to the Oldskelder, especially to see uh, this uh, these people these, these mad people cycling into the headwind. Uh, so they were disappointed. And yeah, they, 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 they came with their bikes. They wanted to take part, and they still oh, even though. The event bikes. was cancelled. They still were determined to, uh, to, to, uh, to to get on their bikes, um, even though there was no official championship. And there was another mm. guy uh, who turned up uh, with his bike, and when he was told that the cycling event was cancelled, he went for a run instead. He said, "Oh, he, yeah, it's so yeah. so a good alternative." He, he ran, yeah. So uh, not everyone was. Uh, some people found a way to um, uh, to still uh, have a bit, of, make a bit of a day out of it. The Dutch will find a way. Uh, I hope for this British couple that they didn't uh, 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 cross the, the channel by ferry because otherwise they would have uh, arrived there very seasick, I think, at the I start. I think most of the, the uh, ferries were cancelled, actually. In the, mm, the, yeah. and, and I suspect they came through the tunnel. So the tail end of Storm Kieran is still uh, blowing across uh, uh, the Netherlands and bringing heavy rain. There are still yellow warnings in Hassad Holland province for, for, for flooding on roads. Uh, the, the, there's a big, a huge puddle on the A20 uh, towards Gouda and also a flat in Breda uh, had to be uh, evacuated uh, because of uh, flooding yesterday um, and there are warnings that there may be more uh, yeah more standing water uh, possibly some flooding as well uh, today on Friday um, across the um, to, 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 to across the province of South Holland oh yeah and uh, how about elsewhere in uh, in Europe Yeah, Storm Kieran was pretty fierce here, but we didn't actually get the worst of it. Um, in Five people died in Madrid when a tree landed on a zebra crossing. A 72-year-old man in the French port of Le Havre died when he fell from his balcony. And they think uh, the, the French authorities seem to think that uh, he, he may have been blown off by the winds. And uh, in the Belgian city of Ghent, a five-year-old child was killed by a falling branch. Uh, parts of the UK are also hit by flooding and high winds. A uh, campsite in Wales was evacuated. I don't know who's camping at this time of year in a storm, but uh, <laughs> apparently quite a few people were. The wind got up to 160 kilometers per hour oh, there. Wow. And yeah. on the island of Jersey, there were heavy hailstorms and people's windows were blown in. One 80-year-old woman woke up to find her kitchen window smashed in, but uh, she refused to leave her home because she didn't want to move the cat. <laughs> Yeah, I can uh, make a joke about umbrellas in Ghent, but I will not do that. Police have arrested a member and an ex-member of the Anti-Terrorism Task Force, NCTV, on suspicion of possessing and divulging classified information. A 64-year-old man from Rotterdam was still part of the task force at the time of his arrest and also worked for the police. He was involved in a number of sensitive counter-terrorism investigations. A 35-year-old woman from Gouda had left the service and had worked as an interpreter and an analyst, and both were arrested on October 26. The NCTV has a wide range of tasks relating to national security, such as uh, counter-terrorism, cybersecurity, and crisis management. It coordinates streams of information between police, intelligence, 
intelligence services and the government and is responsible for determining who needs a security detail and on what level. So a pretty crucial um, uh, chain in uh, in the uh, Dutch security um, apparatus. Mm. Um, the public prosecuting service has uh, not given any information about the type of state secrets the two allegedly obtained and shared, but according to so- sources of the NOS, they might have shared the secrets with Moroccan intelligence services. Justice Minister Dylan Yesselgus, there she is again, but in a uh, different capacity, wrote to the Tweede Kamer that she is deeply worried about the arrests and the ministry will start an independent investigation into the matter. The two suspects will be kept in custody for the next 14 days and will only be allowed to speak with their lawyer as police continues uh, with their investigations. Yeah, um, and I, I was reading a, a, a piece in an essay about this. Uh, we gave a bit more detail this morning, saying that the 64-year-old man who arrested was really a, a key figure in, the, in counterterrorism investigations. He was one of the few Arabic speakers hmm. on the staff, uh, for example. So he was often, he was used often to screen things like uh, uh, preachers who came from foreign preachers who came to, to mosques to uh, actually uh-huh. uh, listen to an inter- and, and interpret and uh, analyze their their, 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 uh, their sermons to to, 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 to and analyze their speech to decide uh, you know, whether or not to, you know, the, 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 the Netherlands should pay attention to them, whether they were inciting hatred or terrorism. Um, and, that he, uh, and he also apparently had his own office uh, in the building. He had, he had a lot of freedom. He had his own hard drive where he apparently kept details of suspected uh, jihadists. Um, so he really was one of the most um, influential, significant uh, people on the counterterrorism staff. And uh, he's also uh, a man of uh, Moroccan origin. Origin and uh, the, the the suspicion is that he has been feeding information to uh, the Moroccan intelligence services. The first thing that leapt, leapt to my mind here actually was the the arrest of Ridwan Taghi, of course, because yeah. that was by the Moroccan. Now, I, I, there's nothing that I've read that's uh, put, made a link to these two stories at all. But um, he was arrested in Dubai w- with the involvement of both the Dutch and the Moroccan intelligence services. And it was a very mysterious. There's a lot of questions that have been asked about this, have been answered about why Taggy was suddenly uh, his flat in Dubai was suddenly raided uh, with no, with no notice, and he was he, he was he was put on a plane to the Netherlands rather than going through any kind of formal extradition procedure. Of course, there isn't one for Dubai. Um, so and uh, it all began, of course, when uh, Ridwan Taggy, uh, his gang, uh, shot the, 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 the accidentally, mistakenly shot the the son of a, uh, a Moroccan justice minister. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's uh, yeah obvious to uh, to suspect these kind of connections, but yeah, we still we obviously uh, uh, don't know yet how uh, 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 the details of uh, of their. Um, yeah, clandestine uh, operations. Um, they have to uh, serve uh, in jail for, in, in, for at least 14 days. And I forgot to mention this, but they might be able to vote because there is a, um, a lobby group for uh, uh, inmates that's calling on municipalities to arrange some sort of um, mobile uh, polling booth to be brought to, uh, to, to prisons and to jails uh, for the inmates to, uh, to allow the inmates to vote in the upcoming election. I always thought that that uh, you lose your right to vote if you you're an inmate, but apparently you're not. Uh, so uh, they 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 are trying to make all sorts of arrangements for um, those poor people in jail. <laughs> I, I think um, that's something that's a European Union thing. The European Union uh, says that uh, prisoners should not be denied the right to vote because mm. um, I remember there's a big row about it. Uh, in the UK, when the UK was still a member of the European Union, David Cameron uh, said it made him physically sick that the European courts were uh, requiring the UK to allow its prisoners to vote. So I think mm. that's where that comes from. 
Yeah, well, there are plenty of things that made us physically sick uh, <laughs> relating to uh, David Related Cameron. To David Cameron, but we're not going to go down that road. No. At the Dutch News Podcast, we strive to keep our information sources buttoned down and watertight, but we do also rely on the trickle-down effect of our generous patrons, leaking a euro or two a month so that we can keep you up to date on all the latest news, sport, election coverage and storm damage. Are these all Piskijker references? They might be, possibly, yeah. (laughs) We won't be giving running commentary on uh, the results of our urine samples. uh, No. We assure people on that point. As we mentioned last week, uh, we've uh, recently set up a membership system because Patreon have uh, fiddled with the rules a bit. Uh, So we have a number of tiers of membership. Uh, They all have the same benefits. It's entirely up to you which one you want to take, how much you feel we're worth to you. We start with the Kinderdijk at one euro a month and goes all the way up to Hortegordel. Patrons in the top tier do get a symbolic extra vote in the hotly contested Ophef of the Year Awards special. Yes. All patrons also get access to our bonus content, early access to special editions like this week's interviewer with cricketer Logan van Beek, plus a shout out to say thank you and the opportunity to ask us a question. And this week we have three new patrons to give shout outs to, so thank you very much to Zach, to Sun Young Park and to Tarquin Shrapnel Carruthers. Thank you very much indeed. What? <laughs> Tarquin Shrapnel Carruthers, uh, who d- did message us to say that uh, his real name is Dave, but uh, I want to stick with his <laughs> podcast name, Tarquin Shrapnel Carruthers. Okay, yeah, I think Dave is much easier to pronounce, but... Uh, Dave yeah. said, uh, Dave Anker said he's a long-time listener, a first-time subscriber. Uh, he's a newly minted Dutchman. Can ah. you guess what uh, country he originally comes from? I wouldn't dare to guess. I, I have absolutely no idea. Uh, he says being a Brit... Oh, there we are. There's <laughs> a lot of British people taking Dutch nationality. Um, Why? Some, Why? I don't know. Hmm. He says, I'm familiar with the first past the post system and uh, long favoured some form of PR in the UK. He says, uh, uh, obviously, there are downsides to this, but he was curious about the formation process in the Netherlands because the fact that we have coalition governments and uh, no party ever gets an outright majority. But how did the Dutch process become, in his words, so formal and so slow? Yeah, PR stands for proportional representation. Uh, the system that we have in the Netherlands, uh, you need one 150th of the votes in order to. To, uh, win a seat in parliament uh, that has all sorts of plus sides for example that uh, yeah a lot of people can uh, can be represented in uh, in the Tweede Kamer but there's also a downside and that is that I think we have 10 factions or something of uh, one or two seats so we really have a lot of political parties in parliament and it makes it difficult indeed to form uh, majority coalitions uh, increasingly more difficult especially since the last decade or so why does these negotiations take so long I don't really think it is has something to do with the formality of the process. For example, uh, there was a committee that came out with a report last month that said that we lack a lot of uh, formal rules regarding the formation process. They proposed to, for example, uh, have a debate every six or eight weeks during the formation in order to uh, keep the parliament and the public up to date on how the negotiations are going. Uh, so I don't think that is the problem. The problem is that, yeah, we it's just increasingly more difficult to get a majority coalition. And that has everything to do with the fragmentation in parliament and also that large parties. I mean, if we have the election now and the day wins 27 seats, they are the largest party in parliament. And 20 years ago, 
that party would have had 41 seats or something and the next mm. one had 35 so yeah mathematically it was a much easier task to end up with a majority coalition and yeah now it's just mathematically more difficult and if you have more voices at the table then yeah it is it takes longer to find a compromise that's just the reality of it i think yeah and also coalitions are built into the dutch system because we, we always have one i think uh, dave has partly compared this with the coalition in the uk in 2010 which was a very unusual event and the negotiations there were over in five days but it was uh, actually yeah. a, a very uh, loose slack negotiating process which ends up basically with the liberal democrats the minor party just caving in to the tories swallowed up yeah. um, whereas i think that what we have uh, here in the netherlands is a much more uh, thorough process where all parties bring their manifestos to the table sit down and uh, there's a lot of give and take horse trading back and forth so and also because we, we have a system set up for periods without a majority government or without a mandated government yeah and obviously these periods have become longer uh, at recent elections because it's taken I me mean, last time it took almost a year to get the new government into office and, and, and so there is a recognized system whereby the old cabinet stays in office and uh, can continue to mind the shop and increasingly what we see is that they actually get more and more of a mandate because this time for example uh, almost nothing has been declared controversial by no. Parliament, by the Trader Kama. So no. the, the parties have almost free reign to continue to pass laws, although obviously they no longer have uh, a coalition structure so that they have to sort of find parties that are prepared to do deals with them. But I think because of that, uh, it's, it's not so much of a... The system is not as dependent as I think it's yeah. in other countries on having a majority cabinet in office and with a mandate, although obviously that's always the aim whenever parties get together after an election. Yeah, negotiations can also uh, take up a very uh, short amount of time. 2012, for example, uh, we, VVD and, and Labour, they negotiated a coalition agreement little over a month i believe so that is in a very acceptable time period and of yeah. course it leads to a lot of irritation that after 300 days we still don't have a government yeah and that was the, the second time it happened in a row and i think that if this time it also takes 300 days or longer then uh, i think the time is ripe to sort of look for a new system and to look for new ways in order to come up with a new uh, formation process yeah so this there's really a lot of pressure on the politicians and the p political parties to uh, do it much quicker than last time yeah i think so and i think you're seeing them preempt this to a certain extent because they're already as you said when we were sort of discussing yeah. the conversation between um omzicht and franz timmermans that they're actually already moving together and looking for common ground um, uh, before the election more perhaps than they would have done in previously because they see that uh, showing that they can cooperate is a way of winning public trust so yeah. then perhaps if they find more uh, things they agree they agree on during the election campaign and during the debates then it won't take so long for them to come up with an agreement afterwards yeah and Omtzigt has already said that he is not opposed to the idea of a minority cabinet for example he said that if we can manage to arrange that within a, a certain amount of time then that's much more preferable than you know negotiating mo more than a year for for a majority cabinet uh, however i do think that that just leads to postponing the amount of time you are negotiating because yeah, if you have a minority for every topic you need to find a majority and that means that you're just going to negotiate with different parties but at a later time whenever you uh, you have a plan or a policy issue uh, that you want to uh, get past so that also leads to other uh, problems I think but minority cabinet that that's definitely uh, an idea that's on the table because yeah Peter Omtzigt probably one of the winners of the election he isn't opposed to the idea so yeah we might uh, we might get that who knows
If you'd like to become a sponsor of the Dutch News Podcast, uh, pop along to Patreon at www.patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash dutchnewsnl. The population of the Netherlands is closing in on the 18 million mark. Latest figures from the statistics agency CBS show the population grew by 110,000 in the first nine months of 2023. And the growth was entirely due to immigration because uh, the first time, uh, I think, since the war, deaths are on course to outnumber births this year. Mm. Uh, So far, 900 more people have died than uh, been born. Population growth has slowed since last year, mainly because fewer Ukrainian refugees were arriving. In 2022, 85,000 Ukrainians fled to the Netherlands following the Russian invasion. But so far this year, that number has uh, dropped to 12,000. Another reason population growth has slowed is that emigration has gone up. Last year, 134,000 people left the Netherlands, which is already a high figure. But uh, it's already been eclipsed uh, in the year up to September, when 145,000 people left the country. Okay, and there's a lot of talk about migration numbers in the election campaign. Peter Omtzigt had set a target figure of 50,000. Baby Bay already mentioned that said 15,000. Does that look achievable? No, not remotely on these numbers. Um, Net migration, even when you exclude the Ukrainians, was just under 100,000, which is almost up to last year's total of 102,000. And that, of course, is double Peter Omzik's target figure. The biggest group of incoming migrants came from Syria, the 13,000 Syrians, followed by 8,400 from Turkey, 6,700 from India and 6,600 people from Poland. Last year, we hit Omzik's target figure, incidentally, was 2015. I mean, even in the pandemic year of 2020, when the borders were shut uh, for most of the year, net migration was 52,000. The number of common seals have gone down for the third year in a row in the Dutch Waddensee area, and scientists are at a loss as to why this is happening. The Wadden Sea is home to grey seals and common seals, and the seals molt in August on dry land, which is when marine scientists in Denmark, Germany and the Netherlands count them, and this year's combined tally was 22,622, of which uh, 6,706 were in the Netherlands, and that's down 4% on last year. This is the third year in a row scientists are seeing a decline, first by 4% in 2021 and then 10% in 2022. And although the number of pups had been consistently higher in the last few years, scientists say that this is not going to turn the tide. Some 9,334 common seal pups were counted this year in the whole of the Wallensee area. And this is a worrying aspect, Wageningen marine researcher Sophie Brasseur said. More pups but fewer adult seals, this means over 10,000 seals died this year and the females are capable of finding enough food to produce pups but I wonder how many of them survive. An international research team studying the problems has said possible explanations may be the deterioration of the seals habitat or the presence of wind farms and increased marine traffic but that more research will be needed to find the exact cause. Sports news, and we start with cricket, because as we're recording this, the Netherlands cricket team is playing its seventh match of the ICC World Cup in India, Uh, and it's a crucial one. After claiming their second victory of the tournament against Bangladesh on Saturday, the Dutch are facing Afghanistan, with both teams aware that defeat will kill any lingering hopes they have of qualifying for the semi-finals. Against Bangladesh, the Dutch team once again made a shaky start, losing both opening batsmen in the first three overs for just four runs. But uh, Wesley Baresi and Colin Ackerman steadied the ship with a 59-run partnership before Captain Scott Edwards chipped in with 68 to help the Dutch post a competitive 229. Then Paul van Meekeren took four wickets for 23, the best figures ever for a Dutch 
the best figures ever for a Dutch bowler at the World Cup, as Bangladesh were all out for 142 in the 43rd over. The Netherlands' final two matches are against England, who are having a wretched campaign, and host nation India, which promises to be their toughest challenge yet. And earlier this week, I had the chance to speak with all-rounder Logan van Beek, and I asked him how the team was feeling ahead of its crunch match. Yeah, it's uh, definitely coming off the back of a win uh, and a good performance against Bangladesh. The boys uh, are probably a little bit more at, at ease. I think we had the high of uh, beating South Africa and we thought, right, that is that the spark that's going to get us going? And I think the, the uh, Sri Lanka loss kind of took the wind out of our sails a little bit. We were pretty keen and we thought we were uh, a good chance of, of winning that game. Uh, and then obviously the Australian massacre happened. In a way, that's what I thought the World Cup was going to be like. It was going to be flat wickets, you know, superior opposition, good crowd, and you had to be your best skills had to be on show. So that was, in a funnier way, it was actually a good thing because it just gave you a wake up call of like, if you're not at the top of your game uh, and you go against the top people at the top of their games, you're going to get found out. So that was, yeah, a bit of a wake up call. And then to go to Kolkata and to put on a performance like that, although a bit being a, a bit of a shaky start, but it seems like a bit of a theme at the moment that we do a few rescuing jobs. Um, but no, we're, we're sitting here looking forward to the next game against Afghanistan, which is going to be a massive game in the context for the rest of the World Cup. And so all eyes will be on November 3rd. Excellent, good. And leaving the Australia game aside, which obviously was very hard for you, all the other games, including the games against Pakistan, maybe less so against New Zealand, you had chances in those matches. Were you feeling going into South Africa that you were on the brink of something there? I think we go into every game like that. We prepare the same for each game. Uh, I think for the South African game, obviously we've got four South African coaches and they know the, the South African team kind of inside out. And I think our plans that we had for that game were a lot more clearer and specific in terms of bowling spin up front. As fast bowlers, we knew we were going to bowl more in the middle. And I think with the bat, it was just a matter of getting the score. And the conditions were, were, you know, were it was rainy to start with, but overcast. So it was tough at the start for the guys mm. who were batting. But again, I think we were just clear in, in, the, in the sense of we're in this fight. We know we can get ourselves in the battle. And I think the way we came out with the ball was just awesome. And it was just such, such a great feeling throughout the back half of that match, uh, the way Paulie came in and bowled, and we just got timely wickets throughout. But I, yeah, I think going into that match, definitely a lot clearer and probably a bit more belief that, come on, let's pull our socks up. I felt like we were a little bit short in Pakistan and New Zealand. We didn't really get ourselves fully in the game. We kind of were getting there, but then we couldn't just do it for longer. Whereas the Saffron game was like, right, guys, we can do this. Let's trust our skills and let's go for it. The whole of that interview is available on SoundCloud and all the usual podcast platforms. Uh, so go over and give it a listen. And uh, I have to say that uh, in the uh, match so far, as we are speaking, uh, the Dutch are getting up to midway through their uh, their innings and it's not looking great for them. They're 97 for five. Uh, Scott Edwards, Buster Leder and uh, Colly Rackerman all fell uh, in short succession. Uh, so uh, the Dutch need uh, another rescue mission, I think. Uh, mm, yes. And um, yeah, someone suggested that I should have done the interview, right? Yeah, but uh, yeah. I'm just glad that you did it because otherwise I don't yeah, think... Th th thanks to Jeffrey Egger for that situation. Next time, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Next time, maybe. Yes, yes, yes. 
Uh, and leaving the cricket aside, unfortunately, um, what's the mood like at Ajax? Um, probably not as good, or uh, are things uh, looking better now? Uh, well, things are looking up marginally, but that's uh, mainly because uh, yeah, you can only look up when you're bottom of the yeah. table, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, they can always uh, be degraded to... Uh, to the Coca Campion division, right? So uh, yeah, it could, can yeah, get worse. Yeah. The, 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 the fans at um, their, uh, the, the, the PSV at the weekend were singing uh, next year Hellman Sport, I think. So uh, the <laughs> 36 times champions uh, sunk to last place, uh, a position they'd never occupied before uh, after losing yeah. 5 2 at PSV in Eindhoven. But on Thursday night, they won the basement battle with Full and Dumb 2 0 to lift themselves to the giddy heights of 15th place. Good job, guys. Um, I uh, understood that uh, the first half of the uh, match against PSV, there was some improvement uh, to be seen there. Yeah, there was some improvement, definitely. Um, they were 2-1 t- two, two up at halftime, um, uh, but PSV just steamrolled them in the first 10 minutes of the first half. And yeah, yeah. all the defensive frailties. Ajax actually have the worst defensive record in the whole year division at the moment. They've uh, let in 21 goals in nine games. So yeah, such a crazy development. Ajax is really the CDA of of the Eredivisie. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but they got a new coach. Um, John van Schip agreed to take the helm for the rest of the season. He has to steer Ajax out of out of troubled waters. But uh, he played as a dynamic winger for Ajax for twelve seasons before winding down his career at Genoa. Uh, he's also got a Canadian passport, which might come in very handy when he needs to flee the country. <laughs> At very short notice, yeah. Off the field, the club were fined €25,000 for their fans' misbehaviour during the Classico against Feyenoord, uh, which had to be abandoned after 55 minutes and was finished three days later in an empty stadium. I've got to say, I thought €25,000, given that uh, what happened after the game was a pretty mild punishment from the KNFB. Yes, but I think it's uh, nowadays it's a lot of money for Ajax. They've also been ordered to play the next home match against Vitesse Arnhem without their notorious F-side hardcore fan group um, in the stadium. That's unfortunate. And there were some uh, upsets as well in the first round of the Dutch Cup. Yeah, as usual, the uh, Cannes-Febe Baker spawned a couple of uh, giant-killing sagas. Quick boys from Katwijk, they play in the Trader Divisie, the top amateur level. They beat Nac Breda 2-0, uh, but the real headline makers uh, were from the same league. There's Hase from Hardenberg, who beat uh, Eredivisie side Heracles by the same scoreline, and Amsterdamse, uh, who play in, in the delightfully named Sportpark Goed Genoeg. Well, they were, they were more than uh, good enough for Pex Fuller. They, they saw them off 1-0 at their, at their stadium. Hmm. And uh, FC Spakenburg, the Bible Belt club who famously got to the semi-finals last year and gave the Canfei Bay a major headache because they wouldn't play the final on a Sunday. Uh, they're on their way again with a 3-1 win against Helmond Sport. And uh, there was also a scare for Bas Dost uh, from Alkmaar, right? Yes, there was a scare for everyone on the field in Azad Alkmaar. Uh, Bas Dost uh, plays for NSA Nijmegen. They were leading 2-1, uh, which is a good scoreline for, for them, given that Azad have had a good start to the season. Uh, the final minutes of the game, Bas Dost had scored the first goal and set up the second. Um, but then the giant striker from Drenthe stumbled and went down in the centre circle with uh, nobody around him. Uh, the players swarmed around him and club medics rushed on to give him assistance. Dost was briefly unconscious, they later confirmed, but he came round quickly and uh, was able to give a thumbs up to the crowd as he was taken off the pitch on a stretcher. The club confirmed this week he'd suffered from myocarditis, or an inflammation of the heart muscle. So mm. uh, sounds alarming, this one uh, condition that can be very serious and even fatal, but it also... Is uh, can uh, you can get over it very quickly. Uh, obviously, unfortunately, it will also stoke um, the conspiracy theorists online. But let's yeah. not go there. 
Dost is said to be doing well, but uh, will take a break from the game to recover and have further tests. Uh, Daily Blint suffered a similar attack in 2019 when he was playing for Ajax, and he now plays as the defibrillator. I wasn't aware of that. Mm. Okay. But yeah, so it's not necessarily the end of his career, but obviously they have to be very careful with him. So we wish him well and hope he's uh, back on the pitch before too long. The Canfe Bay has announced the final minutes of the match will be played on Wednesday, December the 6th, and that's the same date as the conclusion of the other outstanding fixture that was also uh, suspended uh, following a, uh, a late uh, concussion, clash of heads on that occasion, Ajax against <laughs> RKC Vavaik. For once I was aware of all the sports news because I was oh. forced to watch uh, Studio Football uh, last Sunday, so uh, no news Great. from me uh, here. <laughs> and what about the women's uh, football team? Yep, uh, Leo Vinnen have faced the same opposition twice in the last five days in the Nations League and won both games. Uh, that was against uh, Scotland. Uh, <laughs> they lost 4-0 in Nijmegen last Friday with uh, Daniela van der Donk, Esme Brugs and uh, Lynette Berestein on the score sheet. Brugs was on target again on Tuesday with the only goal in the 1-0 win in Glasgow and the Dutch are now top of the group after England lost 3-2 in Belgium. So not all okay. bad news for Scotland. <laughs> Aurelia went. Uh, will go through to the final stages if they beat England and Belgium in their final two matches. Uh, and the top two nations will qualify for next year's Olympic tournament in Paris. Aaron Lubach had a, a, a whole thing about the Nations League qualifying process, which is even more uh, Byzantine than trying to find a candidate on a Dutch ballot paper. Yeah. That's all we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes, and you can get in touch with us by email to podcast.dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. You can also now back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a shout-out. My thanks to Paul Peters. I'm Gordon Derrick, and we will be back next week. I lost. I, I uh, didn't catch that last <laughs> sentence. You zoned out when I mentioned Nations I League. I zoned out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just as well. <laughs>